0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet. 650, Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance here live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or our in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We expect uh, to connect with Abbotsford Canucks forward Archdeep Baines here momentarily great story from Abbotsford of course signed uh, as an undrafted free agent out of the WHL a couple of years ago this is his second AHL season 32 points in 31 games and that will send him uh, to the all-star game to represent the Abbotsford Canucks so excited to chat with Archdeep Baines here momentarily uh, when he when we are able to get him on the line and find out a little bit more about his season. As mentioned, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text line. Uh Austin and Langley Texan, in, with injuries happening around the West, is that feeding into making it a go for it year for the Canucks? I don't know if I was a general manager how much like one specific injury would impact my thinking. I will say to me it's more about your position in the division and in the conference, right? And your chances of finishing first place in your division, you know, maybe challenging for first place in the conference. Definitely at this point looking very, very likely to have home ice advantage in the first round. All of those things are impacted by other teams losing players, but it's not the injuries per se. It's your position relative to the rest of your conference.
1: For sure. And, you know, I was thinking about it with the Miami Dolphins yesterday. I was watching that game um, no, I guess not yesterday, but after covering the Canucks in Buffalo, I was I was watching some of the Miami Dolphins lose in the cold to the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And it's like if you win your week eighteen game against Buffalo, you're you're dusting off the Steelers, like mm-hmm. like in a in lopsided fashion in Miami yep. in warm weather, right? And everyone's partying. Uh huh. And then you go into the offseason, like, what's the story around two tag of a I, my goodness! I should have just said Tua. Yeah, um, I don't even know why you attempted the second part. <laughs> it's like we know who you're talking I'm a about. i hockey guy. Yeah. Um, anyway, the uh, you know that that regular season loss probably costs them fifty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it probably does because now you go into the off season with questions about whether or not you can win with them in the playoffs. Yeah, you have blah, a blah, bad blah.
0: performance, and you know, in tough weather in KC, etc.,
1: cetera, etc. Cetera. And and the stakes, especially in the Pacific, where I think you have four of the six or seven best teams in the league. Honestly, uh well, yeah, I'm uh, to some extent. You know, you can weight them differently as as you please, but like for me, Edmonton might be the best talent team in the league. I'm I'm probably putting the Kings in the top five. I think Vegas has the potential to be in the top five, and the Canucks are very close to it. So, you know, I I I mean, being having home ice, which you're now likely to have, yeah, right, strongly likely to have, yeah, and potentially ducking one of Edmonton, L.A., or Vegas. How about L.A., by the way? Like, L.A. is a perfect example. They've bumped into McDavid two years consecutively in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And with the way things have shaken out now, especially with uh, Vegas now having their injuries pile up, it's like... They could easily get it again. (laughs) Oh,
0: man. (laughs) That's a tough one. It's brutal. Yeah. And I mean, really, I think at this point, you know, not that the division is locked up or sewn up by any means. Of course not. There's still, you know, almost 40 games left here. There's a, it could be a lot of twists and turns to the season. But I think you're also really focused on the conference race, right? Because there's seven teams in the Western Conference that, you know, look, LA and Vegas are going through their struggles right now, but it's also very easy to imagine a scenario where we get to April and that they look very formidable, right? So you throw them in with the Canucks, the Oilers, the Jets, the Avs, and the Stars, that's seven pretty good-looking playoff teams in the Western Conference. That eighth one they're going to be feel a little bit different, right? So if you can finish first in the conference, that goes a long way to securing uh, a favorable matchup in the first round. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. As mentioned, we are now very pleased to be joined on the line by Abbotsford Canucks forward Arshdeep Baines, who is uh, an AHL All-Star this year. Arshdeep, uh, thanks very much for doing this, first of all, and congratulations on the All-Star nod.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the call as well.
0: Yeah, no, it's our pleasure. We're really excited to chat with you. And, you know, I know when you go into the season, probably all-star not all-star selection isn't uh, necessarily what you're focusing on. You're focusing on your team goals and, 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 you know, just improving your game. But how did it feel to get that recognition in your second AHL season?
2: Yeah, it's pretty special. Kind of like you said, uh, you know, you don't really kind of have that goal going into the season. You kind of want to, you know, focus on trying to make – obviously like like the Vancouver Canucks, but it's, it's a privilege and I, uh, I'm grateful that I got the opportunity. What has felt
0: different for you? You know, last year was your first uh, season in the AHL. Your first season as a pro hockey player after signing out of the WHL. And, you know, you had a, a productive first season in the AHL. Obviously it's taken a step forward this year. Did it just feel different right? Kind of from the start from training camp for you coming in this time?
3: Yeah,
2: for sure. I think, uh, like you said, I took some uh, took some big steps last year, and I got got uh, a lot better throughout that season. I think coming into this season, there's you know it was kind of clear to see what I needed to work on. I think that's something you don't let know in the first year, was when you you kind of don't see how you're gonna play in pro hockey. So I think I was able to kind of see what I need to work on. And training with the Canucks in the off season was was a huge bonus. And then coming into to training camp, being able to play with uh, some really good NHLers. And uh, just learning a lot from being a, with the team and playing a couple of exhibition games. I think it was just a good recipe to have a good start to the
1: season. Arshdeep, I'm curious to get your thoughts on how the changing nature of the Abbotsford Canucks team has changed things for you this season. You know, it, it was a pretty veteran group in your first year right and obviously as you said you were putting in a bunch of work behind the scenes just to adapt to pro hockey and this year it's it's a little bit of a younger group uh you're a little bit more experienced has that challenged you to step up and you know have a larger voice in terms of the leadership side of things or or just changed opportunities for you this season
2: yeah for sure I think uh I think this season there's you know some guys looking up to me kind of Kind of seeing how I was able to get to to where I am from last season, and, and there's for sure some responsibilities. And I, I know I'm a pretty big, important part of this team to help win games. So, yeah, I think overall there's been a there's been a lot of new uh, things I've had to learn this season to, to you know that maybe I didn't uh, have to do last year.
1: And and has being empowered in that way helped elevate your game?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I. I, I, I want to be. I want to be a, pers- a player that uh, my teammates can rely on, someone that they that they want to uh, to, to play with or to you know kind of learn from. So it's been a, it's been pretty awesome to be able to be a, a one of the top players down here. So it's been uh, I'm I'm just honestly grateful that I get the opportunity I do right now.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, in training camp with the Canucks and even getting to play a couple of exhibition games with the team. What did you take from that experience?
2: Yeah, that was that was that was awesome. I know my first year I just was, was able to play maybe one or two and this last year or this, this past, uh, training camp, I was, I think I was in four. So it was, it was pretty nice to kind of see how everything works. seemed I was getting some pretty good ice time as well. and playing with some good players, like I said, and it was awesome just to learn how, how what it takes to kind of be at that, at that level. And just, you know, just seeing how hard they work and the pace they play at. So it was, it was a really good learning experience and, uh, grateful that i got to do that
0: what was the message from you know the coaching staff canucks management at at the end of training camp when you were going back down to abbotsford what what kind of uh you know what did they want you to focus on and and take away from that experience
2: yeah they 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 were really happy they they kind of tested me and gave me some opportunity and i think they were happy with what they saw and they kind of just left me with the message that i can have a a really strong season down in abbotsford and play a lot of minutes and be a big, big uh, attribute for uh, for this team here, and that they want me to, you know, kind of just keep developing and keep getting better. And that's uh, that's obviously what I'm trying to do, and uh, it's been good so far.
1: Archdeep, you find yourself in the H L. in a in a thick of a playoff race, and I'm sure that's where your attention has been, as as opposed to you know being an all-star. Obviously, in addition to your uh, development, what what what's been key? in this young team sort of hanging around to this point and and where what are your team goals like what are you looking to do over the balance of this season down in abbey
2: yeah i think uh we have a really good team here i think we've been uh really trying to find our identity uh recently i think we've been struggling a little bit but uh i think that happens to almost every team throughout a season i think we have some big goals that we want to kind of achieve i think we could be a top team in our in our conference, in our division. So I think we can, we have that goal that we're trying to chase and trying to make sure that uh, we're uh, trying to sharpen up everything and making sure we're going to be in a good spot for playoffs and have a good run. I think we have big goals, and it's going to be competitive. There's a lot of – the teams are all kind of within a couple points of each other, so it's, it's good competition, and I think it just helps develop everybody.
1: You've been in a lot of ways uh, essential in terms of what this team has accomplished on the power play to this point. Um, I'm always curious, especially with, you know, players in the American League where your power play performance in your second year pro is is uh, I've heard a lot of people praise it, uh, not just people watching the games, but but people within the industry. And yet, you know, I'm sure I'm sure you're focused more on making it to the NHL where the role might be a little bit different. How do you sort of balance uh, that aspect of uh, of winning a job as you go through your development process?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think the there's a lot of guys that are playing down here that mm-hmm. are competing with each other and against each other at the same time. It's a good friendly battle, and it's what helps push us to be better. and And that's what why we can. That's why we're playing so well uh, uh, at times down here. Is that uh, we have a lot of good players, a lot of good young players, and I think there's competition, but that's kind of what helps develop each other. And it's it's a good recipe. And I I really uh, look up to most of the guys down here that. Basically, all the guys that uh, you know, all their stories and how they're competing, whether they're younger or older. And I think we're gonna have a lot of guys that can play pro hockey if we all uh, keep uh, keep doing the heading down the paths we are with uh, with our coach JC and everyone helping us.
0: You know, as you mentioned, lots of young guys trying to get those NHL call ups, get those NHL games in. When you see the NHL team having the type of season they are and winning as many games as they are, I mean, what kind of reaction do you have to that? Like, what, what's the reaction from you and from the guys, the rest of the guys on the Abbotsford Canucks, to what the big team is doing?
2: Yeah, it's pretty, pretty inspirational, honestly. I think last year they could almost, uh, it was complete opposite at the start of the year. So it's nice to see that they you can kind of do a full 180 there and they're killing it. And I think. You, you, As prospects, you want to be a part of a, a winning organization and an organization that can uh, compete for the Stanley Cup. And so, it's, and it's been nice to see from down here It's that all these players, and if you want to get called up and you're going to get called up to a good hockey team, I think that's mm. even better. So it's, it's pretty nice to see them playing well.
0: Archie, we really appreciate the time. Congratulations again on the All-Star selection. Enjoy the experience at the All-Star game and have a great rest of the season. And uh, all the best. Hopefully we can chat again.
2: Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you so much.
0: That is Archie Baines, uh, Abbotsford Canucks forward. Again, 32 points in 31 games for the Abbey Canucks this year. Leads the team in scoring and is representing them at the All-Star game. And, you know, touched on it a little bit there. As, uh, as you mentioned, look, he's killing it on the power play. If he comes up to the NHL, that's probably not going to be his role. But, you know, we talked about the the friendly competition that exists mm. between so many of this kind of crop of young players and young forwards in particular at the AHL level, right? With him, you know, Linus Carlson, we've seen come up this year, obviously the silly pod Colson is playing down there, you know, Atu Ratu uh, is playing down there and it's an interesting situation. And I think, you know, I would still, if you had asked me, Middle of training camp, end of training camp, I would say we're definitely going to see our steep Baines in the NHL at some point this year, right? Because we saw the kind of opportunity he got at training camp from the coaching staff. You know, he starts to produce right away in the AHL. It is so competitive, though, and I think that's a very, very good thing. And I think the other thing is, you know, he he touched on it at the end there, what it, what it's like being in the minors now when the NHL team is having so much success I think it's got to just increase the competition for these guys and the hunger for them to come up and make it and be a part of something successful
1: at the NHL level. No question. And, and you know, I, I think you're seeing a radically different approach. I mean, it can take a cycle or two for a new management group's philosophy to filter through, right? And there's some things that this organization's doing down in the American League that are consistent, with what we saw under Jim Benning in part because the general manager of the team, Ryan Johnson right. is a holdover. Um, you know, the, the, the double a system, like that the club is built with Tristan Nielsen and Chase waters mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, really targeting like high scoring WHLers to be AHL only guys. And then maybe transition into the having two way NHL contracts as Tristan Nielsen did. Um, you know, our Ar- Ar- Arch Baines earned an ELC, but he was very much in that mold, yeah. right, of like top scorer in the WHL, undrafted free agent signing for the organization. So you're, you're seeing some continuity in, in terms of the, some of that stuff. But one real, real dramatic change, and I think this is a, a business change as well as a hockey ph- philosophy change, is when this team first came, right, to the Valley, the Canucks spent a ton yeah. on your Nick Patan uh-huh. class of guy Often on one-way deals are like really high American League salaries, and I mean they were one of, if not the, top uh, AHL spender. And and look, the AHL is not a capped league. We that, think that's how Phil DiGiuseppe got into the organization, right? 100%. basically as part of that crop
0: of Sheldon quad Drice. A guys. Yeah, Sheldon
1: Dries. I mean the, the club went on a bit of a like depth spending spree. And by the way as the club went through like the Boudreaux bump, for example, you got pretty meaningful contributions from those guys. Like the, the, the team had a higher floor in part because of the way they were spending there. Um, Now, now I think you're seeing a team that's trying to get younger and, and probably a little more like sustainable from a business perspective as well, right? right. A little more cost efficient in, in terms of the bets being placed there, but also doing it with more of a development focus and, you know, as a result, I do think this team in the first half of the season, like, isn't as formidable as the team a year ago was. Because you you know, you just have less resources down there. You're not buying as many wins. But what you're seeing from guys like Baines, right, is is sort of the positive aspect of that. Right? There there's fewer older veteran players. So this second year player like Baines, who's put in the work, who's become sort of um you know, I- empowered by the organization to the point that he spoke at dev camp. Mm. Right. Uh, really the straw that stirs the drink for this Abbotsford Canucks power play. I mean, you're seeing a younger guy become effectively like an organizational leader, even as he's trying to put himself in, in position to jockey for a call-up spot at some point this season, you know, that that it's a really interesting dynamic, uh, probably a bit of a, of, of a challenging one. And I don't mean challenging in terms of the negative side, like, um, Yeah, maybe it's not the easiest circumstance, but there are positives that come from it and we embrace it sort of standpoint for Jeremy Cullin, who's also in charge with sort of being the day-to-day metronome and and developing these players. And by all accounts, both throughout the industry, but also internally, uh, is doing a bang-up job. So, you know, to see a player like Baines, who's also a local kid, undrafted free agent. Um, you know, consistent with some of this organization's operating philosophy of of targeting high scorers, high WHL scorers in particular, to to flesh out the depth in Abbotsford and and to have him make the AHL All Star team and be point per game plus in his second American League season. I mean. It, it a complete good news story through and through, and congratulations to him.
0: It is interesting, you know, as you mentioned, you look at the Abbotsford roster, and there's a few contributors who were kind of in their late 20s or their 30s, right? Your Sheldon Dries, Christian Willannon, John Stevens, Matt Irwin. Outside of that, it's almost exclusively guys, you know, 22, 23, maybe 24, right? But just a ton of guys in that where you're still young for the AHL. Uh, and D. Baines, of course is one of those. But even, you know, Ratu is still really young, right? Like, he didn't turn 21 in- until a month or so into the season. So you do have a really significant youth movement. And, you know, of course, one of the calling cards for the Pittsburgh organization, right, was they gave their guys time to season, time to develop at the AHL level. And we've seen already Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine, you know, send Niels Hoaglander down last year, right? Send Vasily Colson down this year, kind of <laughs> try to say almost retrofit some of that onto their careers that they didn't get at the start of their career and I'm curious to see you know how long it is like even a guy like Atu Ratu, right comes over as the prospect centerpiece of the Bo Horvat trade and you know of course he had been playing in the NHL uh, for the Islanders gets NHL games for the Canucks even after the trade but from that point really you know, there's never been a moment where it's been like, oh, is Rachu going to figure in the NHL lineup? And I don't say that as a criticism. I say that because they've made it very clear that, okay, he's going to go down to the AHL and he's going to learn and he's going to develop and we're going to be very, very patient with it. You know, Vasily Podkolzin, who's obviously played a lot of games at the NHL level, right? Like Rick Dollywall always tells us, hey, they're going to be very, very patient. There's no rush whatsoever to bring him up. And, you know, inherently when you start the process of being patient, there might be a little dry spell before you're calling those guys up, right? Before the pipeline starts to, starts to really fill up. And I'm curious when we start to see like, do we see Vasily Pudkos in the, this year, right? Do we see Archie Bains this year? Are there guys down there that they think can contribute to this team playing as well as it is right now?
1: Yeah, and, you know, I, I think, too, you want to see those guys force, like, it's one thing to open the door, mm. right? And it's another thing to kick it down, mm-hmm. right? Like, at the end of the day, this isn't, you know, Dracula knocking on your door, like, oh, please come in. You know, like, they, these guys can kick the door down. And that's what you want to see. You want to see the, you know, battering rams. You want to see the, what? Are you losing it at the vampire thing? Yeah, I am, yeah. <laughs> Why? That, that, unlike Dracula, these guys don't have to
0: be invited in, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I get it.
1: I get it. They can crash the party. Yes. Yeah. And that's, in fact, how you have to do it, mm-hmm. right?
0: That's what you want to see. That's ideal. That's that they force you to make some decisions you didn't think you were going to have to make, right? Yeah. Like, oh, man, no, we have to put this guy on he the NHL roster. He has to roster. be in. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and so, and look, I think Vasily Colson's had a nice run, right? Like, I think he's played, played well. Uh, Atu Ratu's been solid. Mm-hmm. He's still so young, right? Like he's still, did he just turn 21? He's 20. He turned 21 in November. Right. So he just turned 21. So, yeah. I mean, this is like the first year that he's actually AHL eligible for in, in the context of if he'd been drafted out a major junior. So you know I, I don't think you're concerned that he's not at that like point seven five point eight points per game that you want a, a guy to be if they've got top 9 potential just cuz he's played the vast majority of that sample at a at an at like klimovich style age but i do think eventually you want some guys oh yeah who aren't just developing and having good seasons but guys who are you know that guys the best player in the American League, and he needs to come up. Yeah, guys where it's, like, silly to have them in the AHL. You totally. know what I
0: mean? We're like, oh, this doesn't make sense. He's too good for that league.
1: Yeah, and 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 eventually, too, I think you also are hoping to get a layer of guys like, you know, and Archdeep might be an example of it. That Carter Verhage tier mm. of guy you signed to be American League depth, and then they show you something, and then you keep, you know, they keep showing you something, and eventually mm-hmm. they They keep developing. They and, keep hitting. And eventually they're a big deal. You know, that... That's the other sort of secondary tier, uh, which is why I've always admired, like, the way that the clubs fleshed out their AHL-only contracts and created this sort of double-A version uh, of, of a classic NHL development path. You know, you you don't need a ton of contributions from uh, that player class for that to be just a home run in terms of a, a marginal value provided to the yeah, club. Yeah, for it to work out really, yeah. really
0: well for you. Uh,
1: Tristan Nielsen, by the way,
0: who I always root for, 17 points in 22 games in the uh, AHL this year, so... He's doing it. He's
1: he's uh, he's developing, man. Yeah, he's uh, his points per game is solid, and uh, and his amount of people pissed off per game is <laughs> even higher. Outrageous, yeah, even, <laughs> even even higher than that. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber tax
0: line. Thank you again to RST Baines for joining us and talking a little. <laughs> there we go. Very chill. Are we coming back from break? What's no, going no, no, on? No.
1: It's a very chill outro, bud. <laughs> Get with the program. Uh,
0: thanks again to RT Baines for coming on and chatting with us. we got an open segment up next, so hit us up with your suggestions, questions, ideas, anything, whatever you want. Your text to the 650-650 dunbar lumber text line. Kevin Woodley joins us at
1: 5.30. It is Canuck's stock here on Sportsnet 650.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas trance here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C. We are live from the Kintec studio. Kintec. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet, what are you waiting for, 650? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I'm very out of sorts today, it's already dark out, totally different time slot for the show, very, very confusing, but uh, final hour of the show here, Canuck stock in the late afternoon, in the early evening now, Kevin Woodley will join us at 5.30, before that you can get your thoughts in. 6.50, 6.50 to the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, Marcus and Gibsons, we were talking a little bit about playoff seeding and all that earlier in the show. Marcus and Gibson says, as long as they enter the playoffs with home ice advantage, I don't care who we play. We've got to go through Vegas, Edmonton, or LA to win the conference anyways, so you may as well get them out of the way round one. Uh, that's how I know that Marcus and Gibsons is not a procrastinator like me. Always kick the hard thing down the road,
1: because now you never know. Circumstances might come up, and then you won't have to do it. <laughs> Well, I think the advantage, too, to, like, winning the West, right, is, is the potential to avoid having to play two of those teams. Yes. A hundred. Well, it's definitely with winning the West, right? Because then you might get the—and
0: look, I don't want to— there are teams that are playing better who are battling for that eighth spot, right? So I'm not trying to chalk it up as an easy dub in no, that series no. or anything. But still, you just look at the resumes they've, uh, uh, you know, accumulated so far, and it looks like it's going to be a very different type of opponent than the other seven playoff teams in the West.
1: It's not about easy. It's about... Easier. the very, Less daunting. The very real possibility that those three teams rank in some order in the NHL's top six.
0: Yeah. Like, that's all it is. Well, and even like... You look at the seven, and I know you're not big on the stars, right? But if you look at the seven top teams in the Western Conference, you know you could make a case that that's like seven of the top ten teams in the league, right there, right? With from the you know Canucks, Jets, Avs, Stars, Kings, Oilers, Knights. I mean, that's a really, really impressive top seven in a conference. So. There's a big advantage to dodging one of those teams in the first round if you can. Look, I I do agree with the premise of you got to go through – you're going to have to beat – if you want to go far in the playoffs, you're going to have to beat some good teams. Of course you are. You're going to have to beat some really, really good teams, some some teams that are playing well. But there are still easier paths and more difficult paths. And uh, the great thing is the Canucks have put themselves in a position where, you know, chasing – the most favorable possible path is a really legitimate conversation. Uh, even more than it felt like, you know, a month ago, they've put themselves in that position and separated a little bit from the pack in the Western Conference. 650-650, uh, this one comes in. Who can play with Puce uh, and Kuzmenko? I just don't think Mikhaev, is the right fit. He also says, by the way, Kuzmenko has had some close scoring chances. They will start going in. You're right about that. He has had some scoring chances. It's not as if they've been generating nothing when they're out there together uh, as a trio. I do also see where he's coming from though. And I, I, I do think that Kuzmenko's struggles, right. And so much of the attention on Kuzmenko has drawn attention away from Ilya Mikheyev. And it's still just not really a clean fit. I don't think for Ilya Mikheyev in the top six now you know if you're talking about a candidate to come up the lineup and go into the top six like it's still probably Niels Hoaglander and he has his obviously questions about you know what does the coach trust him is he going to play the right way all of those things but I uh, th- this is going to be the most fascinating thing to watch for me in these next five home games is does the lotto line stay together and is there any juggling elsewhere in the lineup, or does Talkett and the coaching staff look at these games as, all right, you know what? We've got a little bit of breathing room in the standings here. We've got to run at home. We're gonna give these guys as much time as possible to figure it out and see if they can become that second line that we want them to be.
1: Yeah, honestly, their ability as a line so far to control play has been really good. Really good. I mean, they've it's done a re- good It's been really good. They've done a really good job, in my opinion, in terms of as a line generating scoring chances and not surrendering much, I mean Andre Kuzmenko's four goals, four two goals against since they loaded up the top line. That, what more? I mean, mm-hmm. what more can you ask for uh, from your second line overall? Now yeah. that's the thing; it's not like it's a pressing problem. You know what I mean? Where no. else, oh man, we can't put these guys out there. Yeah, no. Now, now, you know, in terms of him generating a ton of shots, like he had six shots in the first game that they did it against the Devils, mm-hmm. and. You know he has seven cents in in the five games. So, you know I don't I don't know that I'm seeing the same quality chances, and it's just a matter of time before the dam breaks. It's not like what I'm seeing with Garland, for example, right? Where like. You know, at at some point, we're going to have another one of those stretches like we had in December with that line in general, except Garland's going to be the one finishing the chances. He finished one today, by the way. And one thought that I had watching Bluger send a really pretty spin pass to find him all alone out front was, you know, one thing I don't think we're talking about enough with Garland's finishing is how infrequently he's been on the receiving end of those passes mm. over the course of the season. Like, I just don't think there's been a ton of like layup, (laughs) you know, guy guy pulls off outrageous spinning pass to you. That's the one. That's what he does. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Yeah, and I mean, look, Garland
0: has three goals in his last ten games, right? So at that point, for me, it's it's. To me the garland he finishing five story easily. sure but the garland finishing story is kind of over because
1: like 3 goals in 10 games I mean what else do you expect from him you well, know what i mean but he, but what he has 5 now we're just over like he's on pace for 10 sure, goals sure if we get to 82 if we get to game 82 and he has 10 goals it's still going to be a story it shouldn't be like it shouldn't it it has zero impact on his actual value to this team he's carrying in my opinion like driving for a bottom 6 line that's racking up a massive Goal differential in the black, like that line has outscored, has yeah. genuinely outscored their uh, uh, the opposition at like a two to one rate. I mean, they're outrageously good. They're truly one of the best forward lines in the sport this season. So, you know, I'm not I'm not saying this as a thing I'm being critical of so much as. Don't ignore that there are going to be people saying, "Well, five million for ten goals." If if he doesn't finish at a higher rate over, it the just stretch. feels like okay, that's so going to be a
0: thing. He scored in the he scored in the first game of the season, of course, first goal of the season. Then he went one goal in his next thirty two games, right. and that's when you really started to get the, you know, the oh, his his stick is too short, he can't shoot the puck right, and like even through that stretch, You're still getting that through that stretch, his line was was controlling play. First, the atoll line was Snake Bit, right? Then they started to score, but it was mostly Joshua and Bluger. And then, yeah, three, like, three goals in 10 games, and the line is still doing well. Joshua's producing, Bluger's producing. I, I, to me, this is a story in the past, or it should be a story in the past, the concerns about Garland's finishing. Look, I'll say this. I don't think he's ever going to be a sniper. He's never going to be like, a, oh, wow, that guy's an elite finisher. That's not his game. That's fine. For a
1: guy who's having success on the third line, it doesn't have to be his game. Well, he's never going to be a super-efficient goal scorer, I don't think, but he's also not like a shooting percentage outlier over the balance of his career. In a bad way, yeah. You know, yeah, no, he's like a middle of the pack, slightly below average, true talent finisher who makes up for that with volume, playmaking ability, you know, look, I I think, I I honestly think Garland's just massively underrated. I I, I think this guy's one of the most important forwards on this team. I
0: just, I haven't seen nearly the volume of griping about Connor Garland over the last, like, month, well, right? Since that line started to not just control play, but produce, right? Yeah. Because it's, you can f- complain about his his goal scoring, but when he is setting up to go to Joshua for, like, tap-ins all the time consistently, it's tough to be, it's tough to be too concerned about what Connor Garland is doing out there. No,
1: I, for sure. I, I do think his value is more closely, like, it's being appreciated in a way that's, more that more closely approximates his real value, but I still yeah. think there's a gap. I I think there's more a a feeling that like that third line is good, and right, I, and I don't know that he's getting enough credit for how much he's driving that. If that makes sense, that's right. I mean, I did think that Teddy Bluger pass was uh, sick. It <laughs> was awesome, absolutely Teddy Bluger,
0: sick. What a run he's on in terms of offensive Killing production. It. I did not see that coming. Oh, that
1: when the Canucks signed him, I, I'm I'm a he's got to be. You know, it's actually funny to think about. Like, if you think about, like, who, which Canucks players have outperformed your expectations the most, right? It's a long list. It's, well, it is a long list, but Bluger's on it. Bluger's on yeah. a short list, especially for the production that he's been able to to do. I still think number one's Quinn Hughes. No, I see what you're saying here. It there. is. It is. I don't think so. I think it is. And I think it's Quinn Hughes with a bullet. I think it would probably be Brock
0: Besser for me. Really? Yeah. Not that I didn't think he could have a good season, but I didn't see him being, you know, challenging for the league leading goals. Yeah. Certainly.
1: No, I mean, I didn't either, but I I always thought that with... Like, if you told me before the season what Brock Besser's opportunity would look like. Absolute Mm -hmm. fixture on power play one. Mm -hmm. No question about it. Is not the first guy removed if they're making a change. And that he spends every waking minute five on five with, with Miller, Miller and with Miller or Pedersen, right? Yeah. And and I mean it is, it has been Miller this year, but if you'd said to me Miller or Pedersen, right. one of the, one of, well, that's so different from what his circumstances have been the last few years that I would say, okay, I think there's a chance that he could go for thirty without a single bounce in his favor, and if he gets the bounces, I think he could go for forty, and I think that's basically where we're at, except that he has a chance to go fifty, a little more nuclear. Uh, in, in part because the finishing efficiency has been in his favor uh, to his credit. So, you know, to me anyway, that's Brock Bessler's performance is well within the bounds of what I expected of a super reliable volume, sh- like high volume shooter um, who's, you know, scored at like a 65 point per 82 game pace. The the, the the thing with Hughes, like I've always known or thought of Quinn Hughes as, you know, one of the best defensemen in the league. But if you'd said to me before the season, We'd be at the halfway point and Quinn Hughes would be doing things. Paul Coffey and Ray Bork didn't. I would have said, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, but also, like,
0: if you told me that Quinn Hughes was going to be the front runner for the Norris, that's not a surprise. It's not, like, what I was betting
1: on, but it's not like, oh, wow, I couldn't see that coming. Yeah, no, you're right. You know what I mean? You're right. It's not, out, but you know what? It, you're right. It's not, but when you actually see it and see what it means mm. and understand, like, oh, Quinn Hughes has a drag shot now. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Quinn Quinn Hughes, you know, goes marauding in the offensive zone and then, and then beats, like cuts to the middle. Cuts to the middle. Yeah. He's scoring <laughs> Willie Nylander goals. He, he's beating goalies with a far side wrist shot drag move that he's like spamming. That he's like trying a couple times, you mm-hmm. know, a couple times a week anyway. I, I was gonna say a couple times a game, and that's not quite fair. That's too much volume. But like no, that that to me would be you know, not, not, again, not that I had doubts, just that when you actually see what it means for a guy that good to level up to be truly one of the best defensemen in the game, I mean, honestly, it's jaw dropping. I think it's, it's not, the thing is, he's like, he's not just, this
0: is going to sound a little crazy. He's not just at a Norris caliber. You know what I mean? He's almost like a Norris plus caliber this year, right? Yeah. You know, like if he his oh, he- season is better than other Norris seasons in the past, not all of them, obviously, but like you can go out and pick that guy won the Norris and Quinn Hughes is having a better season than him. Right. So it's, it's, he's the Norris front runner, but it's even, that's kind of understating uh, the jump he has taken in his game this year. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, will say, you know, who else I think deserves to be on the who's outperforming expectations the most list. Now Ooh. this is also because expectations are all we're always very, very low for him it's gonna be uh, in this Myers, market. Right? Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers is playing really well, really, really well for this team. Like, even beyond the, you know, we had the conversation earlier in the year, right, where it's like, hey, when the situation around him is good, Tyler Myers can give you good minutes.
1: When it's not, he's going to struggle. We, we had this conversation? Uh, we did. I felt like I felt like I was saying it and people yelled at me. <laughs> That's how most of your conversations <laughs> That's go. That's true. Good point. Fair enough. Standard <laughs> drance conversation. You know what? You know what? I'm going to capitulate. You're right. But I think
0: he's even, I think he's like surpassed that bar, right? Where it's not like you're, you're not having to like squint and like, oh, hey, you're not noticing Tyler Myers and that's good. I think I have been actively noticing him making plays and playing and like logging really, really good minutes for this team. Yeah.
1: Well, and I, I structured environment matters. His, his overall ice time is down just a tick. And I think that matters too, right? I mean, Myers as top pair defenseman and that like, very seriously go look at his average ice time he's been a 2 or a 3 his entire time um in the Canucks organization at 5 on 5 right like wherever mm-hmm. he took line rushes he was playing in leverage he was playing a ton of minutes and you know i i think when a guy when a guy hits you know 32 33 34 managing their minutes you know cuz cuz even in past seasons we'd see myers play months at a time of really good hockey but we'd also see you know the 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 chaos stuff a little more frequently, a lot more frequently oh, yeah. than we have of late. He I, here's what's surprising to me about Myers though. It's it's that you know, if you told me Myers is going to be, you know, fifth on this team and average ice time per game at 5 on 5 and and the market will think that he's, you know, it, the environment will be more structured and the conversation around him will be boy Myers is playing really good hockey, 0% surprised. If you told me Myers was going to be on pace to have his highest scoring yes. season since his Calder winning rookie year, that, uh, that would have surprised me, but that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing.
0: Uh, rock solid durability from Myers in his Canucks tenure as well. I, I counted it out, oh. I think, six games in four and a half seasons right it,
1: now, but he's missed. And and it's hard one. like that yeah, is, and it's like hard minutes, penalty killing minutes, 20 minutes a night type of minutes. And, and that's a guy who does a lot of work behind the scenes to take care of himself. You know what I mean? Like that is he, <laughs> He's only missed six games, but there's been a lot more that he's played you oh, know, yeah. hurt and so yeah no uh, a credit to him uh this text comes in from tim
0: in vancouver on connor garland you know talking about the discourse surrounding connor garland he says it's not just the 10 goals and 5 million it's the cost of acquisition and how terrible the trade was how crippling it was for the team. He says most underrated part of the deal is that it prevented the team from being able to sign PD long term on top of all of this. <laughs> Look, <laughs> oh, it, was a, a, it was a bad trade. I don't <laughs> think anyone's gonna come on here and relitigate the OEL Connor Garland trade. But that doesn't mean he's playing poorly for the team. Like you can be frustrated, but direct your frustrations at Jim Benning, as I know many of you have. <laughs> And will continue to do so. It's not Connor Garland's fault that they made the trade. He's—it's not Connor Garland's fault that they offered him four point nine million on a deal. Like all he's done is played well for this team, and especially under Rick Togut. So I get that, but you have to be able to separate the means of acquisition. Like we talk about this all the time in the salary cap world, right? There's the contract, and then there's the player, and the contract matters a lot in a salary cap. But you do have to be able to separate it as well. But especially like the trade that brought the guy here. Yeah, it has even less to do with him and what he's doing on the
1: ice. Yeah, I mean, at some point you have to be able to separate. You have to be able to separate a deal into its component parts a little bit. You know what I mean? The mm. fact is, is that that trade wasn't a bad trade because of the Garland piece. No, far and away the best piece <laughs> of the
0: trade from the Canucks' perspective. You know the
1: the issue. The issue was the desperation and the and the and the sort of cap management side of it right that that's what hurt um you know not not as fatally as i thought frankly going into last off season. but but certainly hurt and comes with a cost uh and a cost that's going to be felt too you know in the years ahead a cost we're not necessarily free of no certainly not not
0: even close mm-hmm. right it's going to escalate in fact Uh, In the coming years. Speaking of cap space, uh, this text comes in 650, 650. and Kuzmenko take up 10 million in cap space. If we free up this space, uh, can a legit play driving winger be considered to add? Well, that is, you know... That's a big part of the discussion about trades and going for it and taking a big swing. You know, Jim Rutherford being aggressive is there's basically one of two things that would have to happen to make an actual big swing possible. One is a player gets injured. A player with a significant salary gets injured and goes on LTIR, right? And you open up the space that way, which obviously you don't want to happen. The other one is you trade a player making a pretty significant salary to clear their cap space. And you just look at, you know, I haven't seen Ilya have brought up in that way too much. And I still think, you know... His defensive acumen, his two way ability makes him a more likely fit to stick around with the team. But it's hard not to look at how he's been used this year, the healthy scratches and the cap number and think if this team does want to upgrade, Kazmenko almost has to be the guy going out, right? Like at the beginning of the year you would have said Connor Garland. But now that's clearly hurting the team and you trade Connor Garland. Or Anthony Beauvillier, right? Right. And they've done you know, that once. Yeah.
1: They've already done that. And they did it already. Yeah. Um, before we go to break, we, we got to talk Quinn Hughes center, right? <laughs> we just have to acknowledge it on the show and talk about it briefly. Yeah. So, Bruce, if for people who didn't see this somehow,
0: if you're not on social media, Bruce Boudreaux on NHL Network, of course, former Canucks head coach, uh, dropped that at some point during her, his tenure with the Canucks, somebody in the organization suggested that he try Quinn Hughes at center instead of on the blue line.
1: Okay. So, obviously, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. <laughs> I just want to note it as, like, a symptom of misalignment, right? When mm. when you have a breakdown in trust, it's hard to have, like, a free exchange of ideas without that free exchange of ideas maybe be I don't, I don't even want to say misinterpreted. It's just, like, what I say to you, Jamie, like, hey, Jamie, don't start the show with what's up. Yeah, and then I do. But you do, <laughs> and then it becomes a bit, and now I like it. <laughs> Because we trust each other, you know what I'm uh-huh. saying. There's like a there's a, a level of alignment in yep. terms of how we do our broadcast, and I, I hope for everyone listening in terms of how they work with their coworkers. But when there's like a lot of disagreement over player usage, right? And and with Quinn Hughes in particular, like we saw him tried on the right side, for example, to open training camp, right? You'll remember I reported early in the summer that the club was considering doing it, Bruce gave it a look, but he never did it in a game that counted. You know what I mean? So it's like we know that there were discussions and even potentially disagreements mm-hmm. about whether Quinn Hughes should play the left side or be tried out on the right side to help the club address a critical deficit in, in right-handed defense talent. We also know, because management said it explicitly, but but also because of various reporting I've been able to do, that there was a disagreement over how often a guy should play following a mistake, accountability. Right, and so when you get to a point where, you know, hey, like, why did you play Quinn Hughes after after this giveaway? Well, how 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 much do you want me to play X defender <laughs> that no one wants to see play? Yeah. from two years ago on the roster, right? Like, well, how many minutes do you want Kyle Burrows to play? Right, like, yeah, no, no Kyle Burrows is awesome. I I didn't mean uh um, I didn't mean for him to get to take a bullet for no reason. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like, the point being that. When you're in an environment where everything you do is second-guessed, right, uh, uh, an idea of, like, hey, should we try this can can often feel like a lot more than that. Right. And can, that, that's my read on what I suspect happens. It can feel like more of a directive than a, hey,
0: we're sitting around spitballing ideas here.
1: You know what I mean? That, yeah. that, that's how I interpret the, the latest frou-frou. Um, also, you know, it, it's one thing to suggest a guy should play center when they're one of the best defensemen in the league. Um, it's another when you do it and also there's a template for what it might look like if they played center. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> their brother's one of the best in the league to do it.
0: You know, it is kind of funny because my uh, you know, my initial reaction is like, that's hilarious. Who would ever do
1: that? And then you kind of do the like hey, that would be kind of interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I bet he could do it. I bet he'd be good at it. T- two great texts. That new drag shot would have helped Hughes as a center. Yep. Good good yes. call. Good yeah. call. And two, one hundred percent sure that person was OEL. <laughs>
0: Well played. Well played. It's like, I gotta get. I gotta be first. You know, power play quarterback. <laughs> you got to. You got to move this kind of center. Sorry, it is so funny too because you think of the timing, and of course, Bo Horvat was still uh, was still on the roster, right? So you're you're already running like the three headed monster down the middle of Pedersen, Miller, and Bo Horvat all playing center. It's like, hey, why not? Let's move. Let's move another guy from the blue line from an area of need to the middle to our area of strength. But uh, as you said, it's one of those things where lots of different ideas might get thrown around. They don't all make it to light like this one does.
1: Well, and and they're not all interpreted a certain way. Yeah. If you have the basis for trust and alignment, right? It, it's just everything changes when you don't have that baseline trust between management and coach. And it's clear. I mean, we know that this, uh, this organization didn't during Boudreaux. I do tenure. appreciate the content that we keep getting content from the Boudreaux era. <laughs> of the Canucks. And I feel like we're
0: going to. I think a lot – I get the sense that a lot went on behind the scenes that might be of interest to Canucks fans during, during his tenure here, just from what we've heard from him uh, since he's left the organization. Gee golly, do you think? Yeah, I think maybe. <laughs> I think maybe.
1: Uh, we we'll Hot ta- take,
0: Jamie. Yeah, that's Hot right. Hot take. We'll take a break. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and goal Magazine. He joins us next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance, live from the Kintech studio. Jan Pro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting Jan Pro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dumbarlumber.com. Now joining us here in the final segment of the show for today uh, from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com, a regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650. He is Kevin Woodley. Kevin, thank you as always for doing this. How are you today? I'm good. Yourself? Uh, we're doing well. A little bit of a different uh, time slot for us, so I'm you know, all discombobulated from that. But uh, other than that, I'm doing all right. So Canucks fall in overtime in Columbus this morning. Uh, to wrap up the road trip, but they do get a point five one and 5-1-1 on the seven games. Is this just a pure throw-it-out, right, with the travel issues, you know, final game of a seven-game road trip, early start, all of it, you lose in a, in a shootout. Is there anything meaningful we can take from this game against the Blue Jackets today?
3: I mean, you know, you want to pick nits and get into details. Um, you know, we've talked about the adjustments Casey's making uh, into the Clark system, and you know, I thought on the third goal, we saw why these things matter, why these details matter. Um, it's a great example of what happens when you, you know, and, and believe me, I, I people's I know people's eyes are going to glaze over as I get into show of goaltending, um, but a lot of the work that gets done is in and around the post. Like, there's a lot of focus on post-work and post-play and post-integration, and that's the difference between, um hitting that post with what we call a toe box integration so the bottom of the pad is lined up against the post and the skate and there's a skate lace that connects the bottom of the pad to the toe of the skate and that would wrap around the post and that doesn't go in versus what happened there is Casey comes across and he goes skate on post and that leaves a hole just big enough for a puck to get jammed through so you know like that's not even a criticism it's just one of those things you notice as a goalie geek and know that they've continued to work on and you know a guy like Thatcher probably hits that 99 out of 100 instead of you know 85 out of 100 as Casey case he gets comfortable with it so um, I don't worry too much about the results for all the reasons you talked about I think though even within the success of the road trip there were elements in their defensive plan that was again today even though I don't have those numbers processed in front of me from ClearSight Analytics. But some of the things they're giving up and some of the slippage defensively in terms of, you know, how permissive they're being off the rush, uh, in part because of the turnovers they're starting to, to to give up at the other end or at the, at the uh, offensive blue line, again, not cause for a concern at all, but a trend worth at least keeping an eye on as we move forward because to me that's been one of the best parts of their game in the first half of the season and we have seen some signs of slippage over the past whether it's six weeks past month or even in particular over the last two weeks on this road trip that's dropped considerably and that if it continues does have the potential to become worrisome. So in terms of the
1: slippage you're seeing in the defensive environment Kevin when sort of did it start and how
3: dramatic has it been? It's been most dramatic over the last couple of weeks, and which you know could bring us to the Lotto line. I'm kind of curious because, again, when you put together three guys with that much skill and creativity, you know it's funny because when they had their their first night of success, they stressed how it was all about them just sort of. Con- and you were there, obviously, Thomas, and it was pretty clear they didn't, you know, weren't overly eager to talk about that line, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and quote unquote things like chemistry. They wanted to defer to the fact they were still doing the same things they were doing when they weren't together, like all those staples of this new Canucks, new brand of Canucks hockey. And I think there are, have been times since then where maybe they do try and force a pass through the middle, just inside the blue line that have led to some of these odd man rushes. And so what can happen if, if that becomes a more regular occurrence in addition to, you know, seeing it show up in the numbers is, well, Hey, if it's okay for them, can I try this as a member of a different line? Like, can we, you know, those, th- those things that we stopped doing, the giveaways we stopped, you know, um, making a part of our game as a part of this turnaround, you know, do we start to see that creep in? And, and again, this isn't, this isn't even meant as a criticism or, or there's no sort of alarm bells going off, but when you go from sort of being top five in the league for the first couple months to, you know, just inside the top ten in the last six weeks, Um, middle of the NHL over the last month, and now in the last two weeks, 19th in terms of what you give off off the rush, all those things I talked about at the end of last season, could Rick Tockett get this team to continue to defend the way uh, he did when he came in last year? I think a lot of us think of that as defending, but a lot of the times it's not putting yourself in a position to have to defend in particular Again, rush chances and odd man rushes against. And that's where the offense comes from. That's where the easy offense comes from in the NHL today. The teams that are at the bottom of this stat don't tend to have success. And the Canucks are nowhere near the bottom. But for the last little while, they're trending towards there. They're trending towards the bottom half, at least. And again, because I know how much this stat means come playoff time, it raises the eyebrow.
0: Well, and it's interesting on this road trip because – So especially earlier, you know, obviously Demko gets the shutout in Buffalo, but they they were giving up goals, but a lot of them weren't necessarily coming on high danger chances, right? They were coming on deflections or kind of, you know, clean shots that that Thatcher Demko got beat on, but while he was giving up those goals, right, he was also making some really, really impressive saves and kind of, especially in big moments, you know, I'm thinking back to the Rangers game where it could have easily been a tie game if he didn't uh, make some really impressive saves. Was he kind of covering up that slippage by stopping a lot of those dangerous chances off the rush or from from dangerous areas of the ice? Yeah,
3: I think there's an element to that, and, that, and that's why I don't think we, like, they're not giving up tons of goals. Like you said, the nights where, you know the Rangers game. There was a little bit of that in the Rangers game. Like, do you think of the Panarin chance? Mm-hmm. As much as it's a clean look, like there's a backdoor opportunity there that we haven't seen. You know, even some of the saves he had to make on the penalty kill uh, in Buffalo to to, to preserve that shutout and give him the one nothing win off lateral plays. Um, you know, to me, it's you're just seeing a few more signs of it, and eventually, if you trend down that road, goaltending won't bail you up forever, right? And that's why it becomes a trend worth noting for sure. Um, You know, at the end of the day too, like when you get into plays in tight uh, and this can come down to even against the rush, how you defend the rush. Like if we're going to give up that pass on an odd man rusher on a two on one, let's make it down low below the hash marks as opposed to higher in the zone where they have more time, you know, to, to pick a spot. There are certainly goalies in the league. I remember Braden Holby being one of them telling me how he would prefer uh, if we're going to give up that pass, let's give it up in tight where the guy in the receiving end doesn't have an opportunity. Mm. He's just trying to get it up and over me, and I can cut down that aerial angle. Like the options are more limited than high in the zone. Like How you defend those can, can feed into goaltender success, and Demko's one of the best in the league in tight, in and around the net. It reminds me a little bit of Aiden Hill in that regard in terms of you know even when Vegas gives up laterals and slot line plays, it's low slot line plays, and that's where he's exceptional. Um, so, can we give those up deeper in the zone rather than higher in the zone? But still, the reality is, if you start giving them up more and more often, like you uh, have lately, eventually that'll come home to roost in in terms of results as well.
1: Yeah, that's what I saw in that Rangers game where it, people were talking as if the Canucks had given up a ton of opportunities, and they gave up some, but realistically, a lot of the best puck movement from the Rangers was in so tight that that you know it's not like they're. It's not like mid-slot stuff where guys like Panarin and Trocheck and Kreider can wind up and really do damage.
3: Well, and and again, like it kind of depends on the team, right? Like, mm. like yeah, that that's an area Thatcher Demko excels. There are other teams who um, you start giving that up. Like those are the most dangerous chances. Right. And you know, at the end of the night, the Rangers score three goals. Two of them were on what got classified as low percentage. I. I you know, I'd say there's a limitation in statistics if that Panarin one is a low percentage chance because what we don't factor in when we look at, at you know, just pure analytics is that's just, there was no slot line on that. It's just a straight on attempt, but there's a backdoor pass option. Um, they had a 10 high danger the Rangers did in that chance, and that's high for the Canucks to give that up uh, and only scored the one goal. And again, I, you know, to me, that's there are degrees of high danger chances, and, and obviously Clearsight measure that, measures that, um, but you can give up. Every team gives up high danger. It yeah. goes back to, you know, again, the Aiden Hill Vegas Golden Knights example. They won a cup because the high danger they gave up, like they were still giving up a lot, but they gave up the ones that Aiden Hill knew where they were coming from, and they played to his strengths. So, so you're right. When it's in tight, when it's down low, you're playing to the strengths, in particular, if that's your depth.
1: What did you think about Elvis Merzliken's big celebration and commentary after the Canucks' uh, defeat? in Columbus, uh, shootout defeat, I should note, because it's really a tie, in
3: Columbus today? Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm laughing. At, I'm not laughing at Elvis. I'm laughing at the, uh, yeah, no, I know, the, you're, the breakdown of the yeah, nature no, uh, of... I'm sorry, I can't flash.
1: really call losing in a shootout a defeat. You You nice. tied, and then there had to be a winner for entertainment's sake, but, you know, in fact, that's a tie.
3: If more of their games were going to a shootout, however, Thomas, I, I guarantee you we'd be having a debate about some of the moves we're seeing in the shootout <laughs> and some of the weak-sauce attempts we're seeing mm. in these shootouts, to be honest. Um, but thankfully, we're not. We don't have to worry about that. This is not the Maple Leafs. They went in regulation both times. <laughs> um, listen, uh, I understood the emotion. Obviously, there's a spotlight there. He's put some of it on his, himself by being upfront you know, before the game about the need both sides agreeing to a need to move on and then after it sounds like clarifying that he actually did ask for a trade, hadn't played in a long time. And that's the thing, like sort of lost in all this, Elvis has played really well this season when he's played. On the year as a whole, he's plus one percent. Since December first he was plus two point four, which would put you easily inside the top fifteen in the National Hockey League over the last six weeks of the season. Like that's a good place to be. Um, he's talked about all the work he put into his game. There's a lot of motion that comes out after a win like that, right? He hadn't played in a long time, admitted he felt poor as the game started and got better as it went on, and felt better about his games that went on, and then he stops. And at the end of the day, Like teams are looking at the Vancouver Canucks as the top team in the NHL, and he just beat them, shootout or not. He stared down, you know, Elias Patterson and JT Miller and Pew Suter in a shootout, and came out on the better end of it, right? So, I get the emotion. It's a big part of who he is as a goaltender. Uh, I think there are teams that Elvis Merzlikens would help. I think it's going to be harder because of the volatility of the position, including the way he's played it for the past couple of years and results there, and the contract that he comes with. And I don't think Columbus is going to be willing to eat all you know, this year and three more um, to move him. So, and that's where... I'm not sure he would be aware of the downside of showing that emotion like that. I may not mind it, but I guarantee you, and you know this, Thomas, Mm -hmm. there are teams that won their goaltenders seen not hurt. And so that, because when you play on emotion, there tends to be ups and downs that come with it. That might be, again, I'm not saying I agree with it at all, But there are teams that will look at that and be like, that's the reason we don't want this guy, even if he can help us stop more pucks and maybe win more games. So that's the downside of it. And I I know there are teams like that because I've had these conversations. So um, I didn't mind it. I don't know that it helps necessarily uh, for him to show that much emotion as a guy who's looking for a new home because there are teams that just don't want to see that out of the position. They want to even keel.
0: We're talking to Kevin Woodley here uh, from In Goal Magazine on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Kevin Woodley, a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. You know, looking at the goalie trade market in general here as we start to inch closer to the trade deadline, it's always a, a bit of a dicey proposition, it feels like, kind of trying to make that splash for a goaltender ahead of the deadline. Do you ex- But at the same time, you know, there's, there's situations where teams have surplus goalies and other teams have a clear need. Do you expect to see a, a fair amount of activity on the goalie
3: trade market this year, Kevin? Yeah, it's a it's it's a tough question. I, I don't know. The reality is, and we can go right back to Ryan Miller to St. Louis, which is sort of where where the narrative really took off. That it's yep. just not enough time for, you know, goalies, even great goalies, to adjust to the requirements of new system, new personnel. You know, and I think that's a little unfair like that Ryan became the poster child because, because he sort of checked every box of a trade that might not work, like including <laughs> never been traded before. No, mm. no one else like, plays like him either.
1: It's not like he's a butterfly right. goalie. He was, people refer to non butterfly goalies as goalies who play Ryan Miller style. That's how unique this guy was. Well, and he was so
3: dependent on read and react mm. elements and anticipation. And the way he thought the game was like, it's such a high level. Yep. And, you know, I remember. I remember. Um, oh, the giant Russian defenseman they had for a while. I'm brain cramping on the name. Um, the six foot eight guy who was always. Uh, he he'd been here for a while and it was like two months. And Ryan just sort of randomly throwing out that, oh yeah, we're like two months in, and he's playing well, and um, I can you know I can finally start to read off him.
1: Triamkin, like, right? That's
3: how. What's that? Triamkin. Yeah, Trampkin. Like that. Yeah. That's how long. So did I put him out of my mind. I was waiting for the latest Dollywall update.
1: <laughs> um,
3: sorry, Rick. Just teasing. Uh, but honestly, like it took him two two and a half months of playing behind this guy to feel comfortable reading off his tendencies. Right. So Ryan Miller was not the example you wanted. And funny enough, after changing teams, a couple Ryan Miller absolutely would have been a guy you could on the deadline and had success with because he made alterations in his game where those types of changes would have been a lot simpler for him. So for 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 better or for worse, that's the one a lot of people point to. You know, hey, if Jonas Corpusalo had a little more success last year, maybe, maybe we could have flipped the script. Um, but the Oilers picked him apart pretty good. Uh so maybe we don't see a lot of trades. Like at the end of the day, if you're going to make a trade, I think we'll see depth ones. Like You know, I've had this discussion, had it earlier again today. I'm on Weekly in Edmonton uh, on a radio show there with Jason Greger. And, you know, it's, do we need an upgrade? Like, Stuart Skinner's killing it right now. Because, hey, Mm -hmm. since the the coaching change, they have an environment. Like, they, they are what the Canucks were at the start of the season, defensively. They give up nothing. Top two in the league. Top two in the league off the rush. Like, whereas they were bottom two in the league off the rush before the coaching change. Like, everything has changed there. So they're not worried about Stuart Skinner anymore, but do they need an upgraded backup, right? And, I, and so a lot of these questions are not just, hey, Calvin Picard's giving them solid minutes as the backup goaltender, and that's all they need right now. But if Stuart Skinner falters a little bit in the playoffs, is that an a, is he an option for you? So there are a lot of teams asking a lot of questions. Carolina, how long is Kochetkov out after getting run? Like, Is that a serious concussion or something that's only going to take 10 days? Um, where is Freddie Anderson? Is there a chance he comes back from the blood clots or not? Because they've got some questions in goal. Uh, You know, they just called up Yaniv Peretz from the ECHL and he got his first minutes in the National tonight in relief of Antti Ranta, who was in, you know, in the minors just a couple of weeks ago. So there's a lot of uncertainty around the league, a lot of volatility, and depending on how a lot of those situations play out, I think that'll be your, your answer as to how many trades there are. Um... To me, the curious one will be how many teams that don't have absolute, like right now, needs dip their toes in the market in the hopes of upgrades and what do those costs look like? Like Elvis, Elvis Merzlikens in New Jersey? I'd like to see it. Um, you know, like, or, or do they just keep going with Vanacek and Nico Dawes and, and Akira Schmidt if they need him? But, God, I hope not. And that's, you know, these are the questions. I'll tell you another name that could play into this Chris Treger. Mm. only one start coming off that knee injury two years ago damn did he look good in it 37 to 38 against calgary now if you throw him behind a team that's freewheeling and needs an acrobat in that probably not but if you throw him behind a team that has really good structure we saw what he did in florida like that wasn't a fluke whether it was repeatable behind a different environment was a question worth asking and i'm not sure seattle investigated it enough or, or maybe they thought they could reproduce that environment earlier than they have in, in, in their franchise history. Um, but you saw it in that game. Now that they are playing better defensively, you saw how good he was in that game against Calgary. A lot of questions because he's been out so long, but talking to him and how good his body feels like Chris Dreger to me is probably going to end up on waivers here as soon as Philip Grubauer's back. It's an expiring contract. I'm not sure how many contenders can fit the full cap hip under their, you know, under their max, but that's a very intriguing name to me and you know maybe too many teams won't consider him because of the lack of track record since the injury but I've gotten a chance to watch him practice and watch him skate and I think you know especially on the low risk of an expiring contract there are teams that should be considering it
1: Kevin we only got a minute to 90 seconds but I want to ask you about Jacob Markstrom our old pal who's destro I'm not not pal friend of me for my <laughs> he was standoffish with the media is my my only joke he, he's obviously a lovely guy but the performance that he's put together in in calgary over the last month um and the fact that his photo was recently tweeted out by kevin weeks um makes me curious to get your thoughts on what we could see what you'd expect uh, what it would mean if the calgary flames were to a, a, at long last clear up their log jam in the crease
3: well, A, it would mean they've probably thrown the towel in on the season. Mm. Um, and right now they're competing. I saw obviously Elliot Freeman's report that like they're a long way from making this decision. Um, because Jacob Markstrom, like like I believe in Dustin Wolf long term, but anybody thinks that he's just stepping into what Jacob Markstrom has been playing behind and having immediate success probably hasn't been paying attention to how permissive the flames have been. And I got this one wrong. I thought they'd retain some of that Daryl Sutter defensive identity, and it's evaporated. Jacob Markstrom's expected save percentage is 873. It's one of the lowest in the league outside of poor Eric Comrie, who is down at 850. He's outperforming it by a margin that only Aiden Hill approaches around the entire National Hockey League. Actually, Charlie Lindgren too, but almost a full 3%. He leads the NHL in goals saved above expected from Clearside Analytics, over 20 goals saved better than expected. Now that's a full three ahead of Thatcher Demko at this point. And if not for the fact that GMs don't tend to actually look at or consider, or in a lot of cases even have access to these numbers, Jacob Markstrom should be in the Vezina Trophy, not just conversation, but at the front of it. But I think because nobody understands at that level Mm -hmm. um, or pays attention to things like expected save percentage, he won't be in that mix. He damn well should be in that good. And so if he's available... Yeah, I go out and get him. Um, If I'm a team that has cup aspirations and that's the one piece that's missing, say New Jersey, that also has a permissive environment, he can succeed behind that. The bigger question is if you're a team like the Kings that plays great defense, do you get the best out of him if you Mm. go and acquire him? Because he's at his best stopping bullets in his teeth. He's having to do it in Calgary, and he's doing it at a level nobody else in the league has done this year.
0: Kevin, great stuff as always, man. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks, guys. That is Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine. Kevin Woodley on Sportsnet 650 was brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Yeah, one of the, I think, under-discussed stories in the NHL right now is Jacob Markstrom's play. Although it is hilarious that this Flames roster and they have so many issues. And if a hot run of goaltending is going to like prevent them from blowing it up and trade their UFAs, I don't know. I don't know if that's ultimately the best thing for the
1: organization or not, but they're the Calgary Flames. That's it's, what they're gonna it, do. It's probably not. Right? But no. yeah, at some point you gotta clear up a spot for for Wolf to learn the ropes. You have to. One way or another. And you would think it would be Vladar
0: going, but who knows if Markstrom.
1: Markstrom generates that sort of value, that sort of interest. You never Markstrom know. in New Jersey would be an incredible fit, especially because they really need someone to hold the fort right now. Yeah, you seriously. No, no, that's the interesting
0: thing about the goalie trade market, right, and is there are teams with clear surpluses, and then there are good teams with very, very clear needs, and it's usually not the most interesting part of trade deadline, but I think it could be this year, or one of them anyways. I
1: genuinely also would love to see it for him, right? Mm. The last time we saw him in the playoffs, it didn't go great, but man, he is better than that. And and I think it'd be cool to see him get a shot at at, at proving that to everybody. I, I don't think that shot's coming in Calgary.
0: Jan Pro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting Jan Pro's Enviro Shield disinfection service. Visit JanPro.ca. That does it for us. Thanks for listening. We are back in our regular time slot, noon tomorrow, for more Canucks talk right here, Sportsnet six fifty.